G.K. Chesterton was an English writer who was alive around the late 1800s and the early 1900s. He grew up in the English church as a boy, um, but in the middle of his, fa- in the middle of his life, um, or very early on as a young man, he encountered a faith crisis. Uh, later, he was converted to Catholicism, and for the rest of his life, he wrote many different, in, in a vast array of different types of works of writing. He wrote everything from mysteries about a priest detective to defenses of Christianity. Um, but one of his writings was titled, What is Wrong with the World Today? And because of that writing and that title, um, there's a story that's often attributed to this guy, G.K. Chesterton. And the story goes something like this. The London Times sent out a question. What is wrong with the world today? And they sent this question out to many famous authors around London and around England to see how they would respond. And G.K. Chesterton had a very interesting response. And I think it may surprise some of you today. Here was his response. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What is wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton says, I am. And I think that story's relevant for us this morning because we're asking ourselves, how do we live out our faith in a world that is not our home? As we're going through this exile series in the book of Daniel, we're asking ourselves, how do we live out in our our faith in a world that is not our home? And I think that we would all agree that there are problems in the world. There are things wrong with this world. And I think we have no problem pointing out those problems. In fact, I think we're really, really good at seeing what's wrong with the world. But what I think we need to do is is the example that we see here of G.K. Chesterton. And that's to see our own sin before we see the sin of the world. It's to see our own brokenness before we see the brokenness of the world. We need to examine our own hearts in our own lives before we start looking at the world. But there's a problem as we're really good at pointing out the problems in the world, we're not very good at pointing out the problems with ourselves. And as we look, I believe most of us wanna be loving. I believe most of us wanna be caring. I believe most of us, even during this Christmas time, wanna be giving. But there's a problem, is that we're so inward focused, it affects our relationships with others. And we see this in our relationships in our lives too. I think we wanna be good parents. We wanna be good grandparents. We wanna be good spouses. We wanna be good friends. We wanna be good neighbors and church members. But our sin and being so inward focused affects our relationship and our ability to love and care for others. And finally, I think many of us here today in this room And maybe some of you here in this room and online want to have a relationship with God. 
but our self-centeredness destroys our God-centeredness. Being so inward focused affects our relationship with God because we were created to have a relationship with God. We were created to worship God, but our being so inward focused, being so about ourselves affects that relationship and it separates us from him. And in fact, it's probably a word that you know, but the Bible calls this pride. And to this morning, as we look How do we live out our faith in a place that is not our home? The answer is to humble yourself to follow God. We need to humble ourselves to follow God. But there's a problem. It's pride. It's that we exalt ourselves rather than exalting God. And as we look this morning at scripture, I think there's a story that talks about pride in exalting yourself rather than exalting God. And I think it will help us as we look at how do we live out our faith in a place that's not our home by living humbly and following God by looking at this story this morning. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. And you can follow along in your own Bible or we'll have the words on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible this morning. So you can follow along with me as I read. But I ask this morning that you would stand if you are able in honor of reading God's word this morning. The word of the Lord says in verse 22, but you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you. And as you and your nobles, wives and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. This is the word of God. You may be seated this morning. So I asked the question as we're going through this series of exiles, is how do we live out our faith in a place that is not our home? And the answer is to humble yourself to follow God. And that's exactly our action step this morning is I want us to humble ourselves to follow God. And as we look through this story, we're going to compare and contrast really two uh, characters and really two points, and that's going to be our two points for this morning. We're going to look at exalting self and exalting God. Our two points this morning we're going to look at in this story, exalting self and exalting God. So as we open up this story, our first point is exalting self. We see right here in verse 1 that there's a new king in town. And if you've been following along with us in this exile series as we go through the book of Daniel, there's been a king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he's the king of Babylon. And they have taken Israel captive, right? And, And they've brought them to their homeland. But now King Nebuchadnezzar is on the back burner. We have a new king, and his name is King Belshazzar. 
right? And that may be a little confusing if you've been following along because Daniel has been brought to the royal court and he's been given a name, Belteshazzar with a T, right? So if we're talking this morning about the king, we're gonna say King Belshazzar. And if we're talking this morning about Daniel, we're just gonna use the name Daniel so that doesn't get confusing for anybody. So we see that there's a new king in town and he holds a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And the drinks were really flowing, right? This was quite the feast, maybe one like you've never seen today. Some of y'all are like, I've got a really big family and y'all may have had a huge Christmas party, but this ain't got nothing on what the king's throwing right here, right? A thousand of his closest government officials and highest royal authorities are at this party. And I know nobody likes spoiler alerts, but I think just real quick, I would like to point to the last two verses here in this story in verse 30 and 31. And I'll tell you why here in a second. Because in verse 30 and 31, we see that this, this king who is new on the scene in Belshazzar is now in verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans was killed. So as soon as he comes on the scene as this new king, now in the same story at the very end, he's killed. You may say, well, Adam, why did you take us to the end of the story and ruin a good story for me? But it's really interesting is that this story actually has extra biblical sources, right? We actually have Greek historians who say that the Babylonians were throwing a great feast. And on the night of this great feast, the Persians came and conquered the Babylonians. And so we see here from verses 1 and verse 30, the beginning and the end of the story, this story is actually verified by historical uh, sources outside of the Bible. You say, well, that's great, but why does that matter? Well, just one more interesting thing from history is that the Babylonian Chronicler, which is not a newspaper, right? The Babylonian records that were kept in the royal court talk about before a great feast where Babylon was conquered. Just a couple days before, Persian conquered the Babylonian army just 50 miles outside of the capital. So just a couple days before this great feast, Persia has already conquered one of Babylonian's armies right outside the capital. And if you don't know anything about army tactics, Probably, since they're that close, they're coming there. They're coming to the capital. And so we, I think it's interesting as we ask ourselves, this king knew that his enemy is coming to his doorstep. He's coming to his house. And what does he do on one of his last nights as he's preparing for battle? He's throwing a great feast like you've never seen before. And I, I have to ask myself, why would he do that? And I think that if, if we go on in verses two and four, uh, scripture and Daniel may be trying to tell us something. So let's continue on. We see in verses two through four that Belshazzar had a little bit too much to drink. And so he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver vessels from the temple in Jerusalem to, so that they could drink wine out of it. And we go on and see he requested it and then it happened. And so we see these gold and silver vessels that were in the temple were meant to ascribe the worth of God to his very presence within the temple so that we can get just a human picture of why God is worthy to be worshiped. 
right? These gold and silver vessels are not anything special, but they're in the temple because they're supposed to signify that God is the king who is worthy of even our greatest riches. And what does Belshazzar do? He takes those for his own party, right? He takes the things that were meant to worship God and exalts himself. This last night that he has, as he's preparing for battle, he's spending it exalting himself. And we go on in verse four, and it says that they not only drank out of these precious vessels that come from the temple, but they also drank out of them and they praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So he not only took the things out of the temple to exalt himself, but he took the things out of the temple to exalt himself and to praise his gods. And what what Daniel is trying to do here in verse four is he's not just saying he worshiped or practiced some other religion, but he's trying to show us how absolutely irrational it is that he's taking the things of the one true God and giving it to no gods. He's taking the true things of the creator and giving it to the creation. That is so irrational. And that's the picture that Daniel is trying to paint of this king as he is exalting himself in what the Bible calls idolatry. It's taking the what is described and what is worthy of God and giving it to the creation, is giving it to no gods. And it's interesting as, as we read this story that the original audience would be the nation of Israel as they're in exile. And this is kind of a moment where Israel would, would have to put their head down, right, and sigh, because as angry as they would be that this king is desecrating the holy things in the temple, the very things of God, they did the very same thing. And that's a reason that they're in exile. We read in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 18 and 19. Ezekiel says this as he's speaking for God. So I poured out my wrath on them because of the blood that they had shed on the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered among the countries. See, as Israel, the original audience is reading this, man, they're not any better. And that's one of the very reasons they're in exile. And if I could just trace the line to the New Testament, if Paul writes in Romans that this is still a problem. This problem of idolatry is still a problem. And let's read what Paul writes in Romans chapter one, verses 21 through 23. Paul writes this, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And so we see that that this is a problem for the king. And we see that this is a problem for Israel. And we see that Paul is writing because it's a problem for the Romans in the Roman church. And I I think it's even a problem for us today is that we exalt ourselves and take the worship that is due to God and worship no gods. We take the worship that is due God and worship ourselves. But I think that 
grow, for a lot of us that grew up in church, and I've even found that for friends who are atheists and believe in no God, we don't like to admit that we worship other things. So I think we, we may need to just slow down here. And I think a helpful illustration is by Pastor Tim Keller as he talks about how to identify the idols in your life. And Pastor Tim Keller gives three tests that I think will help us identify what are the idols in our life. The first test that Pastor Tim Keller gives is to test our imagination. And you may say, well, Adam, I'm not a, a little kid anymore. What do you mean my imagination? Is, is that in the times when your mind wanders throughout the day, in the times that you daydream, in your inner heart and in your inner soul and in your inner mind, what are you thinking of? What are the things that your mind naturally gravitates? What are the things that you daydream, almost like the grass is greener on the other side? I wish I had this in my life. What are those things that you think about? Because those things that you think about and where your mind naturally gravitates is probably an indicator of what's going in your heart and what your heart truly desires. So I ask you this morning, where do you daydream? What do you think about? What's going on in your imagination? Because if we look at those things, it may tell us what's going on in our heart. Because the Bible doesn't separate the mind and heart quite like we do. The Bible says the mind and the heart is connected as one. And so the things that we're thinking about can be because our heart truly desires that. The second thing, the second test we see is we're going to examine our treasures and this actually didn't just come from Pastor Tim Keller. It actually came from Jesus Christ himself. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure lays, there your heart will be also. So I have to ask, where are you spending your money? If you have some extra cash in your budget, where does your mind immediately go to how to spend that? Because how we use our treasures can tell us something about what's going on in our heart, even if we don't realize it, right? These are the words of Jesus himself, is that how we spend our money naturally comes from what we most desire in our hearts. And the second thing with treasures that we see is that it can also be time. Our time is an important treasure in our lives that I don't think that we often think about. But when you have a little bit of free time, where does it go? When you realize that you have an open, opening in your schedule, where does, it, where does your time go? Where are you spending most of your time? This can also be a test of what's going on in our heart. And the final test that Pastor Tim Keller gives is unmet expectations. It's because we find often in what we hope for the most, when we don't get that, we react in our reactions from our unmet expectations can tell us something about what our heart desires. So I have to ask, when you don't get your way, what makes you frustrated? What are things that make you angry when you don't get your way? What are things that tear you up so bad that you're completely despondent? Because those unmet expectations can often tell us what our heart most desires. 
And maybe a gardening analogy would be good here as we talk about idols. Because as we, as we look on the soil and on the surface of the dirt, right, of our hearts and our lives, we may say, well, Adam, I'm looking at this soil and, you know, Maverick City was one of the top worship bands on my Spotify rewrap for 2021. So, man, I'm worshiping God. I'm not worshiping myself, right? Or you may say, on the top of the surface, man, Adam, I lift my hands higher than anybody else on Sunday mornings, right? I don't have any idols in my life. You may say, well, I have great church attendance and and I do this and I do that. But what we sometimes have to do because we don't wanna admit that we're worshiping something other than God is that we gotta do the hard work of getting on our knees in prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to dig that topsoil and that dirt up so that we can get to the root of our hearts. And the root of our hearts may tell us as we're going through these three tests of imagination, treasure, and unmet expectations that we desire something deep down that we didn't first see. And as we're on our knees asking the Holy Spirit to remove the dirt so we can see the roots and the deep desires of our heart, we then can ask the Spirit and ask God to remove those desires and remove those things that we're worshiping and uproot them. But here's the thing that I think the Bible talks about is that even as you're unrooting your idols in your heart, you gotta place it with something new. You have to plant something new in the hole in your heart of the idols and the worship that you've uprooted. Because if you don't plant something new, it'll just grow back. So as we ask ourselves, Adam, what, what should I plant in my heart to take the place of these idols and to take place of these deep roots that I just uprooted? The answer is that we have to plant a love for Christ in our hearts because nothing else will satisfy us. And I love Colossians chapter three, verses one and two, and really focus on on verse two. It says, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Right, I love that, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've been raised with him in newness of life like we just saw in baptism, then we need to set a love for Christ in our hearts and turn away and repent from those idols but part of repentance is not just confessing and asking God to uproot those idols, but it's turning to something new. And we need to turn to a love of Christ in our heart. As we go on in this story in verse five, I love how the story turns in verse five, because as we see the idolatry of the king, we see that God shows up. In verse five, we see that at a moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. And I think a lot of times we think, oh, you know, back in the olden days, that was normal. No, that was not normal. It's never normal to see a disembodied hand start writing on your wall. That wasn't normal for them then, and it's not now. And so there's, there's no really good explanation, and because there's really no good explanation, that should tell us that this is a supernatural event, that, that God has showed up 
and he's writing something on the wall of the king. And we'll get to what he wrote a little bit later, but for now we see that the king in verse 6, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. So that expression, his face turned pale, it actually means it's like the brightness of the king completely removed from him. See, the king in all his glory and all his honor was completely removed when the glory of the Lord showed up in that place. And it goes on, and I, I absolutely, I love this, and I'm so glad I'm getting to preach this, just for this one reason. It said that he was so terrified, he was so terrified, he soiled himself. The king literally pooped his pants when he sees God show up. See, this king, who's the king of one of the greatest empires on earth at the time, when God shows up, he poops himself like a little baby. It even says his knees are knocking together and shaking. Right, this is a position of fear and humility before God, whether the king wanted to or not. And so, as he's so scared, he sees this writing on the wall by this disembodied hand that came from God. In verses seven and nine, we see that he's confused, and so he gathers his, his wisest of the wise, right? His greatest and smartest and most intellectual. And he asks them, what does this mean? And none of them can figure it out. And in fact, they get more scared that they have no idea what this means. And actually, this isn't new for Babylon, right? As we've been going through the book of Daniel, we've seen where people can't explain and interpret things. But it actually goes way back even to Genesis in chapter 11, right? The very first book of the Bible. We see that all the people of the earth are gathered in one place, and they're all exalting themselves and trying to build a temple that gets to heaven. And so God actually scatters them and confuses their language. He says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 9, Therefore it is called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the whole earth. See, Babylon from its very beginning is named Babylon because of the Tower of Babel, because God confused their speech as an act of judgment. And that's exactly what he's doing right here. He confuses their speech as an act of judgment for them exalting themselves over the one true and living God. See, rather than going to the source, which is God, the king decided to go to others. He tried to figure it out by his own means, what this message meant. And there's nothing wrong with going to other people and seeking counsel, but we can go to others and completely miss going to God. We can seek answers by our own means instead of seeking God. And that's a way that we exalt ourselves, just like the king and these wise men here in this story. And so I have to ask, how often do we exalt ourselves by seeking our own answers? How often do we exalt ourselves rather than going to God, we go to others. And I think that really in culture, there are, are two reasons why we do this so frequently. One is I think that our, our culture here in America today is so wired towards freedom. And see, freedom is, is a really 
good and it's a beautiful thing. In fact, Baptists throughout all of history have fought for the religious freedom of this nation. And freedom is not inherently bad. But oftentimes we value freedom so much here in America that we refuse to let God tell us what we can and can't do. We refuse to listen to God's answers to our questions. And this desire for freedom prevents us from exalting God and humbling ourselves to follow what he has for our lives and instead exalting ourselves and telling God, no, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. The second thing I see is in this culture is that certainty leads us to seek our own answers rather than going to God. A friend who was a missionary in Honduras for quite a few years actually helped me see this because he said in Honduras they would start digging a well and have no plan or amount of money of what to do after they started digging the hole. So they would dig the hole and maybe even pour the foundation and they would run out of money and not be able to dig this well because in their culture, they didn't need certainty, right? They just began and said, well, God will provide the rest. And I don't think that that's correct, right? I think there's nothing wrong with planning. But what I see a lot of times is that we need so much certainty. We need to be so certain about things that we, have, we don't go to God. We go to ourselves and our own answers. See, I think that um, rather than understanding that God gives uncertainty in our lives because he wants us to go to him, we take that uncertainty as we need to answer it for ourselves now. And, John, and Jesus in John 14, 6, gives the answer to what we should be seeking. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So where are we finding answers? In God or ourself? As we transition to verse 10, I think there's something uh, really interesting as we see the queen show up. And so all the men are gathered and huddled up over here, confused, scared. And of course, the woman has to show up and straighten the boys out. She has the answer. She's like, well, go and ask for directions. You know, she's like, go and ask for help. And she points to Daniel. And so I know I just said, sometimes we go to others and that can lead us to not go to God first. But it's okay to go to others because like Daniel, when we go to others that are pointing us to God and exalting God, then we have someone in our lives that's pointing us to God rather than exalting ourselves. And we see here that um, Daniel, uh, the king addresses him as an exile. It says, Daniel, will you please answer and, and, and solve this riddle and this interpretation for me? And Daniel, who has been faithful and done this many times down the road, in the book of Daniel that we've seen so far, is faithful to serve faithfully and exalt God rather than exalt himself. Because he understands it's not about exalting the king and getting affirmation and being exalted by people, it's about being exalted by God. So he serves faithfully for many years. And in fact, at this point, Daniel is probably over 80 years old and serving faithfully more than 60 years. How could he do that? Well, I want us to just look at a couple uh, New Testament passages that I think will show us 
How do we serve faithfully? And that's our, our second point as we go in this morning is that we want to exalt God. We want to exalt God. And we see that Daniel here exalts God by serving faithfully. So the first New Testament passage I, I want us to look at is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and 24. It says, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work while only being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. See, we don't work as we're working for people to exalt ourselves and receive affirmation and praise, but like Daniel, we work for the Lord in everything, even in the small things. We serve and work faithfully, even in our jobs or as we're serving here at the church. And it's not just serving faithfully for the sake of being servants, but we serve faithfully to exalt God. See what, read with me here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. I think he, Peter explains this. He says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, catch this, let it be from the strength God provides. So we're not just serving faithfully for the sake of, of serving, right? So this church looks great. Or we're not just serving faithfully so people think we're humble. We're serving faithfully by the strength that God provides for this second part, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, we, we take and work God's strength through us and we serve faithfully ultimately so that God is glorified in us through Jesus Christ. See, God gives us the strength, we serve faithfully, and then God gets the glory. So as we serve faithfully, we can exalt God, but only by serving with the strength that he provides not in our own strength. As we move on, we see Daniel decides to give a history lesson on humility right before he gives the interpretation uh, of this inscription by the hand. His history lesson is what we looked at a couple weeks ago in King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter four. He, see, we, Neb, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, received authority as king over the Babylonian empire. And, and God gave him that. But instead of exercising the rule of God as king, he decided he just wanted to be God and he wanted to be worshiped. And so God judged him and he went crazy. His mind became like an animal and he ended up losing his throne and all his royalty. But as he was humbled and judged by God, he became humble and God restored him but we see in verses 22 and 24 that this isn't what happened to this king. See, the king did not humble his heart, even though he knew all of this in verse 22. Verse 23, instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. See, King Belshazzar exalted himself instead of God. He did not humble himself 
like King Nebuchadnezzar, like we saw a couple weeks ago. And therefore, he was not restored, but received judgment. And in fact, this story is where we get the saying, the writing is on the wall, right? Because the writing on the wall in verses 25 through 28 mean and are translated numbered, numbered, weighed and divided. The king has been numbered, numbered, weighed and divided by God because he has not humbled himself and he exalted himself over God. And God is taking his throne and his kingdom rather than giving it back and restoring King Nebuchadnezzar. And I think Daniel wants to see one more contrast as we close up this morning. Daniel in verse 29, even though he didn't ask for the rewards of the king, he received the rewards. He became, he was placed and clothed in purple. He was placed a gold chain around his neck and issued a proclamation that he should be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. See, Daniel was rewarded. But I think the point of this story that we can all take today is not that we will all be rewarded as the third highest place in the kingdom. Right? Not every Christian leader who runs for office will be elected president. Not every faithful servant of the Lord will always get that raise. But I think what Daniel is trying to show us is a physical, earthly example of our eternal hope one day in heaven. And that hope is that there will be judgment and there will be justice for the wrongs that are done. But God will also reward the people who faithfully serve and exalt him here on this earth. So like Daniel, we may not always get all the earthly and physical riches. We may not always be affirmed. But if we're exalting God and not seeking affirmation and praise for ourselves, then it doesn't matter if we're not affirmed or rewarded in this life because we know one day in heaven that God will exalt us and reward us with eternal life in his presence. See, this is a physical, earthly picture of of what we looked at a couple weeks ago, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as we exalt God, we too, like Daniel, should faithfully serve. And we looked at in the beginning, right, with my spoiler alert, that in verse 30 and 31, that the king spent his last night exalting himself. He did not humble himself and exalt God, but he decided to exalt himself. And that's how he spent his last night. But can I tell you there's good news that we have a king that on his last night did not exalt himself, but he humbled himself. Let's read Philippians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. See, this this Christmas season that we just celebrated was that we have a king who came into the world in a lowly and humble way, born in a manger. That he lived a, a humble life He was not a king that that used his position and his authority and his godship to his own advantage, but he lived a humble life for our advantage. 
And in fact, on his last night, he humbled himself even to the point of death so that we could be forgiven for the places in our life where we have worshiped ourselves and worshiped our idols instead of worshiping God. See, he, he died on a cross and humbled himself to the point of de- death to remove the guilt of idolatry from our life. He humbled himself to the point of death so that he could be the answer to our questions, to the biggest questions in life, that we could truly seek God and exalt and worship him. And so I have to ask Christians this morning, are you exalting God or are you exalting yourself? Because like G.K. Chesterton, we need to examine our hearts and we need to examine our lives and we need to first look at what's the sin and the problems in our own world. Maybe from the test this morning, you've realized that there is some hidden idols or some hidden worship in your heart. Maybe you've realized, God, I've exalted myself and not exalted you. And we're about to go into a time of response where you can repent from your idols and turn away from the things of this earth and set your mind on the heavenly things above where Jesus Christ is seated. You can come right here to this altar and get on your knees and ask God for the answers to questions in your life and go to him first before going to others. And maybe it's not at this altar, but Christians, we need to go into a time of response and realize there are areas in our life where we haven't served faithfully. We've sought the praise and affirmation of man rather than quietly serving God and exalting him. And maybe we need to make new commitments and new sacrifices as we're going into this new year of how can we serve this church? How can we better faithfully, daily serve God by humbling ourselves and following him? And if you're not a Christian in this room, maybe you realize this morning that you've been trying to answer all the questions in life yourself. You've been seeking all the answers in yourself and listening to what you have to say rather than what God has to say. Maybe you've realized that you've been worshiping something other than God, that you've been exalting yourself. Then I want you to know that you can accept the gift of Jesus by faith this morning. We'll, if you're here in person this morning, we'll have counselors and people up front who would love to pray with you, to talk with you in whatever you have going on in your life. Or maybe you're online this morning and, and you would like to make a first-time decision of putting your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And you can do that by texting the word DECIDE to the number 321-2341, 234 Three, two, four, one. But whatever God is calling us to this morning, don't just be hearers of God's word, but be doers also. Would you bow with me as we pray this morning? God, we thank you so much that we can just have this time and this moment to praise your name. God, that we can just have this moment to worship you. And God, there are times and moments in our life 
where we've exalted ourselves and not exalted you. Lord, would you give us a heart of repentance? God, would you give us a heart to confess those areas in our life where we've failed you? Lord, would you forgive our sins by the blood of Jesus and help us uproot the desires and places where we worship ourselves and do not worship you? God, would you plant a new love in our hearts, a love for Jesus Christ? And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's never put their faith in you and trusted Jesus as their Savior, Holy Spirit, would you move on their hearts this morning to come and talk to someone? Lord, would you help our church to worship you, God, to exalt you rather than exalt ourselves? And Lord, would you help us to humble ourselves this morning to follow you and you alone? Jesus, we love you and praise you. It's in your name I pray, amen.